This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Push growing to get more kids back into schools across the country. CDC has new guidelines, recommendations today for a phased reopening. Basically, if you're in an area with high transmission, it's virtual learning, moderate, some mix, and then low, you get to reopen. Masks are required, testing of students and staff. We'll get into whether this is realistic and what the teachers think. This virus might be here to stay no matter what happens with vaccines. Can we learn to live with it? What do health insurance companies have to do with vaccine delivery? We'll try and explain if we can. California's governor, Gavin Newsom, could be in trouble over his handling of the pandemic. We'll hear from someone who wants his job. And huge corporations might be getting in the way of the production of much-needed PPE. Let's start with children in schools. WCBS's Michael Wallace talked with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, about the new CDC guidelines. Look, today the CDC met the fear of the pandemic with facts and evidence. And so for the first time since the start of the pandemic, we have a CDC and government rigorous roadmap based on science that we can use for safe reopening. Now we need the, you know, we need the resources, but I also have to give it to the UFT because the UFT use this kind of metric. If you look at what the UFT fought for in New York City um, for weeks and weeks and weeks before there was school opening in September, October, November, this is what they fought for. And um, and what the CLC, what the CDC is saying now, is that this is what you need: these kind of layered mitigation strategies as a must, mass and physical distancing, and then other things layered on that, including if you have the resources, testing, and then making um, uh, vaccines a priority for teachers. And those are the that's the roadmap for getting us to a safe reopening. In your opinion, is there anything missing from these guidelines that you would like to see in there? You know, would 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 I? You know, I particularly like them to be like a hundred pages longer, so that we specifically set out, you know, what kind of CO two monitors you need in schools and things like that. Of course, but I think these are guidelines and and safety standards um, for the. Um, you know, for the entire country. And I think it's really important that they've said, if you have the money, you should be doing the testing. I also think it's really important that they have said that these things may change because of the variant and that the variant um, may um, create a different condition for us like it did for Germany and for um, Great Britain. So, you know, but these are very similar to what we at the AFT um, have been putting out as guidance for how to reopen schools safely. And the bottom line is that districts have to do it too often. We don't have the resources. We don't have the this. We don't have the that. So teachers have had to figure it out on their own. But in the middle of a pandemic, we need these safeguards and we need these protocols to make sure that everybody is safe, knowing full well that we want to um, reopen schools for students. So they're very focused on K-8, um, um, and they have, you know, they're, they're very cautious about high schools 
um, still because of the um, transmission rates. But I think that, that there's an alignment now. What's most important is that you don't have an administration anymore that is dissembling, that is chaotic, that is contradictory. You have an administration that wants to fight the virus, wants to get shots in the arms of people, wants to get schools reopened safely, and has now put out guidance that we've been asking for for 10 months and um, is trying to get the resources to fund it. Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. Thank you so much for joining us. Scientists are starting to think COVID-19 will be with us forever. They think the vaccines might not be able to completely wipe out the virus. That's the bad news. Uh, The good news, sort of, is that maybe it'll become endemic, like the flu, something we learn to live with. Dr. Paul Dupre, director of the Center for Vaccine Research, the University of Pittsburgh. So, doctor, is this virus really going to be with us for a while? You know, like a bad guest at a party, just won't leave? Well, I think the party's analogy that you just gave is a really nice analogy for um, something that's going to be around for a while. Let's not just think of party, let's think of Thanksgiving. Um, There might be an aunt or an old uncle or someone who uh, you find tiresome at the party, but their family and they will be here for a long time. And I think that that's what uh, is a good way to think about taking that analogy from just a regular party to Thanksgiving. This is something that isn't looking as if it's going to leave us so quickly. What does it mean when we say that, though? Is it more mask wearing? Is it this is kind of like the flu? We need vaccines every year. Is it there's a surge here and there and we try and deal with it? Paint that picture of my uncle so, who won't leave. So yes to every, all those. So number one, will it be necessary to make new vaccines? What we're learning over the last number of weeks and months is that this virus does what viruses do, which is evolve. And we just published a paper Uh, week before last, showing that this virus makes deletions. It cuts bits of its genetic material out. And that cutting those bits of those genetic material out changes the shape. And what that seems to suggest is the virus is then changing its shape. And we will need to be constantly thinking about making new vaccines, or at least being ready to have new vaccines in the pipeline. Number two, People are getting vaccinated, and that's a wonderful thing. But one of the big challenges that we have is vaccine hesitancy. I think it's about 30% of the population at the moment in the United States will not take the vaccine or are hesitant at taking the vaccine. And what that does is that pushes the number of people who will have antibodies to a level which is not going to give us that herd immunity to really dampen the infection. Your third point was mask wearing. It doesn't matter if we've got vaccines. It doesn't matter if we've been able to reduce the, 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 the amount of spread because a lot of people have the virus. The virus is changing and we have a really good way to stop the virus spreading. And that's simply put on a mask. Those physical measures are really useful at stopping the virus transmitting. And remember, that's what we're trying to do. Dampen transmission reduce the number of people who get it, give it fewer and fewer and fewer chances to change. But yes, we probably will have to make new vaccines, and that's come to light in the last couple of weeks. But but does this mean that the world we're going to be living in for the next, uh, I mean, let, let's take an arbitrary uh, time, uh, five years, um, 
we're going to have to be wearing masks and maintaining social distance and periodically shutting things down and restricting travel for many years to come as opposed to I remember back when this started people were very optimistically and perhaps foolishly saying oh we're going to be locked down for a couple of weeks and it'll all be over well so much for that are we talking about years I really do believe that we were rather naive and that's not just people in the media and not just people in government but I think a lot of scientists really did believe that Uh, we would be able to get on top of this. But there's a number of reasons why we haven't been able to get on top of that. And what we're seeing here is this is a pretty transmissible virus. It's rather um, unwilling to let go of the human population in the sense that it is uh, really able to spread quite well. And it is evolving and changing. And because of that, I do think that it would be rather naive for me to say, this will all be sorted out by the summer. Remember what we know about coronaviruses is we do already have human coronaviruses, not as virulent disease causing, not as transmissible, maybe as SARS-2, but we do have human coronaviruses that we live with. The difference between this coronavirus and the other ones is this is the first one we've made a vaccine for. This is the first one that has given us this global pandemic that we uh, lived through. And this is the one that I do believe we're going to be dealing with, not just for weeks, not just for months, but for a number of years to come. But again, as we evolve our positions and as the virus evolves, as we learn, you have to imagine this like the cat and mouse Right. right. We are learning as the thing changes. So therefore, we have to make sure that we don't let the virus get too far ahead of us and that we do really good research to understand what that virus is doing, how it's changing and how we might need to reformulate. the See, see this doesn't sound like like my uncle at Thanksgiving. It sounds like my cousin Murray. And we didn't get rid of him at a party until he eventually died. Well, actually, I I think it's the same as your uncle, (laughs) uh, which is why I took that analogy, because uh, the analogy that you started with, which is the party, just a group of friends, you know, your family is your family is your family and your family, regardless of whether or not they're offensive to you or not offensive to you, blood is thicker than water and those people will stick together. So I do see it much more as my uncle rather rather than the randomer that I meet at a party uh, in uh, Los Angeles. All right, Dr. Paul Dupre, Center for Vaccine Research, uh, University of Pittsburgh. California is partnering with Blue Shield on vaccine delivery and also with Kaiser Permanente. But what do both of those places have to do with giving people vaccines. Wendell Potter, president of the Center for Health and Democracy, used to be an executive Cigna, now a health insurance watchdog. So there's a lot of confusion about what these two are actually going to do, be able to do, contracts still being written. Uh, what's your understanding of it? You know, it's, it's, it's still unclear. Um, the Presumably because they have networks of providers throughout the state uh, that will facilitate the rollout of the vaccine. But um, uh, it's not clear. You're, you're, you you say it correctly that we haven't seen the contract yet. We don't know exactly why they were chosen. And I don't know of any other state that has turned to big insurance companies uh, to help with the rollout of the vaccine. So it's kind of unusual, to say the least. Uh, well, I, I guess Kaiser on the surface would make more sense uh, right. because they've got facilities, they've got doctors, they've got nurses. Yeah. So they got people, places you can actually go, I suppose, and get right a, a vaccine. 
But, um, you know, when it comes to an insurance company, yes, they've got doctors who are in their network. But if they're not your own personal physician, I mean, what do you do? Just, I don't know, start with a new doctor? I don't get it. I just don't. I don't, I don't either. And uh, uh, they do have a network of doctors uh, uh, throughout the state. Uh, and they are a statewide insurer. But uh, the published reports that I've seen said that they have uh, they're the only insurer on the California exchange that has a network of doctors throughout the state. But keep in mind that a, a relatively small minority of Californians get their coverage through the California exchange. Um, so uh, most people get their coverage through an employer and they may or may not have uh, Blue Shield and chances are most of them do not have Blue Shield as an insurer. So uh, I'm just not sure what the gain is here for the state or for Californians. I hope it works. Uh, I hope it's a smooth rollout. Uh, certainly Blue Shield has a lot on the line here, but I just don't understand why uh, an insurance company is put uh, in this kind of, with this kind of responsibility. You know, it, it's kind of funny. I was, we were thinking earlier and, and of my unofficial poll of people who have been able to get a vaccine, it's through the county or the city site, or just recently in the last couple of days, they snagged one at like CVS or Walgreens. It has not been the call your provider, which is what is listed on all these websites that you go to because you call your provider and it's like a 10 hour wait on the phone still. It's, it, it, that's typical. And it's not just California. It's, it's elsewhere. Uh, but most of the sites, uh, I mean, keep in mind that a lot of people presumably will be getting the vaccine at community health centers that probably are not in uh, any health insurers network per se. Uh, so uh, there, I think there will be a lot of people who uh, will need the vaccine, will be eligible for uh, early vaccines that are not necessarily uh, enrolled in a health plan. And a lot of people are not. And don't have, a lot of people don't have primary doctors or doctors at all. Wendell Potter, president of the Center for Health and Democracy, used to be an executive Cigna before becoming a health insurance watchdog and whistleblower. Coming up after this short break, California's governor could be kicked out early over how he's handled the pandemic. California Governor Gavin Newsom has been criticized over his handling of the pandemic and vaccine rollout. He did get high marks and approval from people until he was caught at a birthday party with several households with no masks. Then there's a slow vaccine rollout, sparking a recall effort could go to voters this year. One of the men challenging the governor, former San Diego mayor Kevin Faulkner, a Republican, has some ideas on how to better handle things. So how do you better handle things? Communicating uh, clearly, uh, urging that it be based on science uh, and the fact that the unfortunate reality is that we've seen when it comes to California and the governor's office, uh, science has been in short supply. You know, the fact that we shut down outdoor dining with absolutely no science behind that it was causing any spread of, of outdoor transmission of COVID-19. The fact when the governor came out a couple of months ago and shut down uh, playgrounds for kids and families uh, and then changed his mind a week later because he got too much pressure. Uh, again, no science involved in that. And so I think that's what's been a missing ingredient and and why we see a lot of the the frustration in California and rightfully so is that the metrics constantly change. Uh, they change. We we had you know businesses in San Diego that were opened and closed four different times again with no rationales to high you know what was what was happening and the thought process behind it. And then when folks actually pressed uh, Health and Human Services about Show us the data, Governor, how you're making these decisions. As you know, 
they came out and said, well, we're not going to show you that. Uh, we're not going to trust the media. We're not going to trust the public because it's too, quote, complicated. Well, when you don't have that type of transparency, you're not going to have the public trust and support that we need. I would do things dramatically different from a transparency standpoint. Let's talk about some of that. Break it down, what it actually means. What does the lay of the land look like in you know, Kevin Faulkner's California? Is it getting the data and then showing it and proving that, yes, we do need to lock down? Or is it that we don't need any more lockdowns? Do people even want to pay attention to those at this point? I mean, there's also the appetite kind of thing. And that's that's one of the defenses that this is an unenviable job for anybody. And anybody's going to have a real tough time with a population that is kind of tired of all this. Well, and I think you're right. And but but if you're not open with folks, if you're not saying here's the decisions that I'm making and here's the data that goes into it, uh, then you're not going to have public support. And, and again, when when stuff comes out on a Sunday night that says, oh, we've changed our mind, you know, restaurants are, are back open outdoors, but I'm not going to tell you the information behind that. That's when you see, I think, to your point, that exasperation. And and I've been particularly uh, outspoken um, you know, as as a father with two kids in public schools, the fact that California has not opened our public schools. Private schools are open, teachers are safely teaching and kids are safely learning, but yet the governor has not put provided the leadership uh, for our kids and, and our kids in California are falling behind because of it. There is no reason why our public schools should not be open now. And I mean now, not a month from now, not a year from now, now. Let's talk about uh, vaccine distribution. Uh, you know, first we had the the uh, the tier system. You know, one A, one B, one C, subset three point seven. You know, whatever it was, it, nobody understood it, frankly. Then it moved to a different thing. It was supposed to be uh, they added sixty five plus. Then they said, well, now we have to expand yeah. that. Got kind of got lost in the shuffle. Essential workers. Nobody even knew how to define that. Uh, how would you fix the uh, vaccine distribution when, by the way, what ha- what is happening is counties are blaming the state. The state is blaming the Fed. So yeah. where does the buck stop? Back to your uh, beginning on Bumble, right? The, the fact okay. that, you know, California did not prepare, I think, for, you know, so many of us were, were like, look, we knew the vaccines were coming for months, right? And And it was almost as if, oh, the vaccines are here. Gosh, how are we going to get them out to folks? And that that requires leadership, gentlemen, and that is absolutely the responsibility of the governor to provide that leadership to say, here's the system we're going to do, here's how we're going to distribute it, and not to have a, you know, different categories with different folks, and and again, all of the things that it's not rocket science, but it takes hard work, and you have to roll up your sleeves. It says, here's the sites we're going to have, here's how we're going to work to do that. You could have had teams of folks uh, doing that for months, and yet, to your point. We are the most innovative state in the country, and we are proud of that. And for the most innovative state to be literally dead last for vaccine rollout, that's unacceptable. Kevin Faulkner, thanks for coming on. And, uh, Thank you very much. And, and again, we, we certainly tried uh, more than our best to uh, get Governor, Governor Newsom or uh, anybody, really, who is dealing with the uh, pandemic at the state level to come on and talk with us. Uh, the answer was, I don't know, crickets, I guess. Maybe maybe Monday. The call went out a year ago to ramp up mass production of personal protective gear for medical professionals, especially N95 masks. That led to lots of startups and smaller companies to mass produce the items. 
The demand is there, but they're having problems selling all of the stuff. Mike Bowen, owner of Prestige Ameritech, maker of N95 masks, shields, protective gowns, other PPE. So, Mike, if there's a need for this, why can't you move for the product? You know, that's uh, that's the million-dollar question. I really don't know the answer to that question. Um, you know, we've been in business since 2006, and we've predicted this mess um, all along. We said, we actually called it directly. We said, China's going to spawn a pandemic at some point. And they make a lot of our mask supply and they're going to uh, keep the mask for themselves and we're gonna be in trouble. So that happened and we geared up. And now don't get me wrong, we're selling millions of respirators, but we have millions that are uncommitted and the American hospitals seem to be fine. Uh, our phones are not ringing. And, but we keep hearing in the news that there are N95 shortages but we don't see it. And, and so I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm puzzled. Well, is it and, and, and help us understand how this works. Uh, I mean, do you sell these N95 masks, which, by the way, I presume uh, because there's a very strict def definition, as you know, of an N95 mask. So these are all certified by the FDA. Yes. Yes. FDA and NIOSH. They're they're. Okay. They're high-end masks. Okay. Yeah. So do you sell these directly to hospitals or are there sort of large, uh, you know, I guess wholesalers or whatever that, that you sell it to and they in turn, you know, they acquire them and then sell them to the hospitals? In other words, where's the, if there's a stumbling block, where is it? Uh, well, to answer your first question, uh, and I may forget your second question, <laughs> uh, to answer your first question, they're, they're, Yes, we use distributors. The way the way hospital products are are sold. Imagine if you wanted to, you know, as a consumer, you can't buy hot dogs from one place and pickles from another. You need to go to one place. That's a middleman. That's the grocery store. Well, these large uh, hospital distributors like Cardinal, Medline, Owens and Minor, McKesson, and Henry Schein uh, carry all these products. So they their truck can pull up to a hospital and have masks and you know, um, everything else. And, and so that's the way it works. Now, yes, some large hospital systems buy directly from us, but we would rather sell through distributors because that way they can pick up a whole truckload of products and then they can distribute it to hundreds of different locations. So are they just getting their stuff from the big guys like 3M and they're not getting it from you when you have, you know, a warehouse full of this that could go out and help people? Well, no. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm a little different than the little guys you're talking about. The little guys you're talking about that started in the last year, that's kind of a different different topic. Uh, I'm kind of a small version of 3M and Honeywell and, and Halyard. Um, so we have hundreds and hundreds of hospital customers and we've taken care of all of those. And they also know who we are. So when I... You know, I'm hearing crickets right now. And, and, and it's not because people don't want to buy from me. I think it's because most hospitals have what they need. Uh, from, from my vantage point, it appears that the, the need that's out there is for individuals and for businesses and people that aren't, you know, hospitals. Ah, well, well that's really interesting because, you know, as late as, as yesterday, uh, I read something still from the government, uh, federal government, saying that N95 masks should still be used by medical personnel because they need them and, and there aren't enough to go around for the general public. But you seem to be saying that 
there might be enough to go around for the general public. No. No. Uh, okay, first, well, sort of. <laughs> Let me answer it this way. We have 300 million people in this country. There are not enough for everyone. But uh, what I'm saying is I've satisfied all of my hospitals. I still have millions a month that I need to sell. But, but the caveat being, I'm not set up to sell to individuals. And please don't, if you're an individual, don't call us. I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> okay. yeah. We're not set up. You're, right. We're not set up. For I get it. it. Um, and, and actually, we're, we're, we're talking to some people right now. I'm trying to, uh, we're trying to find a way to get these into the market. Okay. Because like you, we keep hearing that there's this big shortage. But like you, we're just out here hearing what you're hearing. We're, we don't have any inside track. On this, we're we're just a a little company trying to do the right thing. Um, so, all right, like Bowen, Prestige and Meritech, they make masks, face shields, protective gowns, other PPE. Imagine if you could find and capture each and every little COVID virus particle in the entire world right now. You'd be able to finally end this whole thing once and for all, which would make you a world hero. Well, we know it's basically impossible, but what if you could do it? Well. If you could, a mathematician in Great Britain says, it would be easy to store because you could fit all the particles inside one soda can. Kit Yates estimates there are around two quintillion SARS-CoV-2 virus particles in the world at any one time. He then figured the size of the virus is about one billionth of a meter, then calculated the volume of the virus. He found that they would all fit in a soda can. Such a tiny thing, such a big problem. Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Yeah, but I have a question. Yes. What does it do to the taste of the soda? I mean, if you got all those, yeah, I, I don't... The soda will kill it. <laughs> it depends on which one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>